0: to count your elders as good friends and faithful colleagues in the ministry. Uh, We love you. You're not far from our prayers regularly. We pray for your fellowship and the fruit of your testimony, so it's good to be here and share among you uh, God's Word. And to that end, let's stay in what already has been a theme in our worship this evening in the book of Psalms, which is not a bad one, and let's turn to Psalm 23 together to minister God's Word from Psalm 23 And as you're turning, if I may, just give you a brief commercial that we will be having our gospel conference next, this week, this Saturday, with Dr. Jim Renahan. You're all welcome. Uh, You can register online. Even if you don't and your time opens up by Saturday, just come on down and say, Pastor Steve told me I could come. And that'll work at the door, I guarantee it. Um, But we look forward to that time and conference together this weekend. Psalm 23, what's been called the pearl of the Psalter. Hear now God's word. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us as we come to God's word. Father, we thank you for the privilege to end your day again together meditating upon your truth that we might draw strength for the week you have called us to, that we would glorify your name and bear fruit and trust you as you shepherd us in every circumstance of life. Help us now to hear your word with faith. Be with the one who preaches that boldness and clarity would mark his exposition and that above all you would build your church for the glory of the great shepherd, the Lord Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. Take me to your leader that's become a popular catchphrase really since the 1950s. It actually goes back in modern times to a political cartoon in The New Yorker magazine where you have two aliens getting off their saucer and they come up to a horse and say, "Take me to your president." But the phrase even goes back to novels in the 19th century where some bandit or some Robin Hood or adventurer is captured uh, by the king's men, and he'll say, take me to your leader. In times of urgency, in times of distress, in times of difficulty, you want to go straight to the top. You want to know who's in charge. And if you had been an Israelite in the Old Testament era, you probably would have phrased the statement like this, take me to your shepherd. And Israel then would have taken you to David. To shepherd in the ancient Near East had royal, national connotations. So the Lord in the Old Testament calls the judges those he's commanded to shepherd his people. When David is anointed as king over Israel in 2 Samuel 5, the Lord says, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. Israel thought of shepherding as depicting the king at the head of his army as the ruler over his nation of defense and victory all these were brought under the banner and the metaphor of shepherding of leadership even deliverance and that's the really the simple profundity of psalm 23 this is undoubtedly the most familiar psalm in all the psalter it may be the most familiar chapter in the Bible. It's known far outside even the confines of the church. Yet our familiarity can hinder to plumbing its depths and missing what's right there. The most surprising word in Psalm 23 in verse 1 is the pronoun my. My shepherd. Here the shepherd of Israel, the king, the brave warrior is saying I'm just another sheep, and I have a shepherd. No more than any other Israelite, the king is just a sheep who himself is dependent on the true shepherd, the Lord Jesus. And David here is reflecting on the Lord's redeeming work, and and running under the surface throughout Psalm 23 are echoes of the Exodus, and God bringing his people out of slavery and bondage of Egypt. Let me just note a few of these in Deuteronomy 2, verse 7, Moses describes Israel in the wilderness and says, These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing, which is the same as verse 1, I shall not want. And verse 4, you are with me. Or just after the liberation from Egypt, Moses saying in Exodus 15, verse 13, You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy pasture." And that's all here in verses 2 and 3. God leads to pastures and mercy and steadfast love in verse 6, pursue His people. Or as Israel left Mount Sinai in the wilderness in the book of Numbers, God sought them a resting place, the same as verse 2, we'll see the waters of resting. The wilderness is described by the prophets as a land of deep darkness or the shadow of death. God providing water. For his people in the wilderness is described in the Psalms. In Psalm 78 is God spreading a table. We could keep going. But all throughout this Psalm, there are echoes of God bringing his people out of slavery in Egypt. Bringing them through the wilderness and into his promised place. That's what shepherding meant. To protect, to deliver, to provide, to guide. For God to shepherd Israel was to redeem them from slavery, to lead them to His promised presence. And that's the other striking thing about this psalm. What God did to save Israel corporately and nationally, here David declares God does in his life personally, intimately, and individually. The shepherd of Israel, the king, David, is being personally shepherded by the chief shepherd, the Lord. So, when you asked David, take me to your shepherd, what's his answer? The Lord. What's our answer now? Much of Israel would have pointed to a man, King David, as their shepherd. And it's true as far as it went. But that's not the ultimate answer, is it? who is the chief shepherd. And today, many Christians point to men. I've been a Christian nearly 30 years now. I cannot remember a time when I saw so many Christians beholden to men. In times of fear, we're often tempted to be man fearers, to fear men. Many Christians are looking for gurus to tell them everything about, from parenting to politics, to, to play God for them. So it's striking that if you were to ask Israel's human shepherd, the King David, who's your shepherd? His answer is right here, Psalm 23. My God and your God. And what the Holy Spirit says to us in this wonderful, familiar psalm is that our chief shepherd is the Lord Jesus who is rescuing us to bring us to himself. Our Lord is guiding us to Himself. I want us to observe how our Lord shepherds in three ways here in this psalm. We'll look at verses 1 to 3, He provides His Word. In verses 4 and 5, by the presence of His Spirit. And then in verse 6, through the promises of salvation. Let's consider the provision of His Word, the presence of His Spirit, and the promises of salvation as our Lord Jesus shepherds us to Himself. Look at verses 1 to 3. The Lord provides His word. With the Lord as His shepherd, David says here, I shall not want. It would probably be better to say, I lack nothing. Not that you lack any desire and I have no wants anymore, but none of my needs are lacking. They've all been provided for. I lack nothing. Now, that was no small thing in the arid, dry, rocky Judean hill country from which David came. There was sparse grass, few sources of water, And shepherds would often lead their flocks on arduous journeys to supply their basic needs. And the shepherd's care is painted here by David in these next verses in verse 2 to green pastures, where there's more than enough to eat so sheep can just lie down. They can rest content. They're content with the abundance around them. Or, In verse 2, the still waters, or literally the Hebrew here is the water of resting places. So it's not so much a commentary on whether the water is moving or not, but that the water is such a place and is such abundance that you can rest there. You can drink safely and remain secure. Your provisions are being met. And these images that David uses in verse 2 are not so much about the material provision, but it's a place of refuge. A place of rest, you can lie down. And it's the Lord who causes his sheep to lie down and rest. The Lord brings quiet. The Lord brings calm. The Lord brings what one writer described psychological stability. That's what David's talking about. A rest of mind and soul in him. In times of material provision, it's arguable that humanity has never been more prosperous than we have even today. We take for granted what other periods of history could never have imagined, and yet we seem by all accounts to have less psychological stability than ever before. It's not about the amount of grass and water. It's the Lord who can bring His sheep to a place of lying down and resting in Him alone. And how does he do this? David explains in what he provides in verse 3. David here in verse 3 leaves the shepherd metaphor a bit to draw out the great provision of God. He restores my soul. He renews my soul. He revives me. It's a restoration that leads David in verse 3 down paths of righteousness or, or right paths for the glory of his name, for his name's sake. This, beloved, is a picture in verse 3 of how God revives His sheep according to His Word. There's a precursor to this in another familiar psalm, Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving my soul or restoring my soul. It's the the same verb, renewing me. Maybe David was meditating on God's law and the exodus and God's redeeming work and he'd been revived by it that led to this psalm. The Lord's revived my soul, and this revival of soul and heart leads to right paths, walking the way God's revealed in His Word, with thankfulness following His moral precepts and His warnings and reminders that we might grow. Infected by just worldliness, sadly, many professing Christians have God's moral law all backwards. In terms of how they view it and receive it as God's gracious provision, as Him providing rest, psychological stability, calm of soul and mind, living life as a law unto yourself. It's not only rebellious against the only true God, it's a real burden. It causes a lot of anxiety. Now, we know this intuitively. You tell people to eat however they like. A diet of soda and sweets is going to soon leave them riddled with disease and hospitalized. You tell your kids just play wherever you want without any restrictions. They'll soon be hurt or lost or hit by a car. And it's no different when you tell a whole culture or society you can be or do whatever you want. That doesn't bring freedom. That leads to anxiety and depression and the social destruction we behold all around us. The thing about being a sheep is that sheep don't know what's best for themselves, and they can't lead themselves to the proper provision. And when you're left by yourself, you never rest, you never lie down, you're never satisfied. In the fourth century, the church father Augustine said, when you say the Lord is my shepherd... There are no proper grounds left to trust in yourself. And that's a gift. Being relieved from the burden of sustaining ourselves. Being restored by God and led according to His Word. We have peace. And the constraints and corrections and the directions that God given in His Word, this is shepherding care. It's provision. By God speaking and how we are to live and how we are to walk, God is guiding us to rest and contentment and to lie down. He leads us where we ought to go for His name's sake, for His glory. And our God has always provided this way. He speaks to us to correct and expose our sin. He promises us salvation by faith in His Son, the Lord Jesus. And then He leads us as His sheep by the moral precepts and directions of His Word. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is the provision of the shepherd, renewing our soul. But his precepts are not separate from his presence. And that's what we see next. He not only shepherds us by the provision of his word, but verses 4 and 5 by the presence of his spirit. And verses 4 and 5 are the center and emphasis of this psalm, which is so common in Hebrew poetry. You put the emphasis in the middle, the, what stands out. And we see that by the shift, again, of pronouns. Notice, beginning in verse 4, it's no longer he, the Lord, who leads me. It's now you who are with me. And the presence of the shepherd is most acutely known and needed. When the sheep are most aware of their danger, in verse 4, in the valley or the ravines. In the ancient Near East, for shepherds to find sufficient grass and water for their flocks, they would have to cut through the deep wadis of the Judean hill country, the, the canyons or narrow crags in the desert rock. And if you've ever been there, you know that at the bottom of these wadis, these twisting narrow crags, it's dark. It's dark. And it's hot as the covering of the tops over you keep the heat in. Now, for sheep, the shadows at the bottom of these canyons and valleys, they hide predators. They hide traps. Now, behind this metaphor also, we have to remember the vivid reality in David's own life of fleeing Saul's army, of fleeing later his son Absalom. And where did he run to hide? He ran here. But where David ran to hide in the caves and canyons of the hills could also hide those who sought his destruction. And this metaphor of walking through such a valley, it still carries. Uh, We know the suffocating heat of fear and anxiety, uh, what's lurking around the next bend of life, the darkness of the unknown. This is the danger of the wilderness where wolves and robbers lie in wait to steal, kill, and destroy. And we're familiar with this verse as the valley of the shadow of death. That's how old Billy Tyndale translated it, and we've stuck with it. But while he split it into two words, the shadow of death, it's, it's really one in Hebrew, and it's deep darkness, deep night. It's used throughout the Old Testament of uncertainty, of anxiety, of the wilderness, of slavery. To be in deep darkness is to be in a place of grave concern, and fear, and uncertainty, even bondage. It's to be separated from God's place, His promised rest. It's the darkness of abandonment, and affliction, and anxiety. Now, these fears, the the fear of the valley of the shadow of death, of deep darkness, they're not totally irrational, are they? There is real danger, Sheep in a dark valley are in real danger. And yet David says, I fear no evil. Not because there's no danger present, but because you are with me. In that deep darkness, the shepherd is no longer ahead of the sheep and leading. He is now right beside him, guiding and ever-present with his sheep. So the sheep find comfort and reassurance from the shepherd's rod that would have been the club hanging from his belt to defend his sheep from animals that would steal them, from his staff which would have a crook to guide the sheep safely, to keep the sheep from falling into danger when light is dim. And every sight of the rod and the staff, the power of the shepherd, bring comfort to the sheep. And the sheep know there is no ultimate evil That the greater power of the shepherd cannot overcome. That's the comfort that David moves into in verse 5. And this comfort often surprises Christians as we understand it because he's just confessed the shepherd's rod, the club to defend the sheep. And the Lord, triumphant here in verse 5, prepares a victory feast for King David, anointed with oil, with his foes vanquished before his table the table that David describes the Lord preparing is in the presence of my enemies. He's talking about a a feast after battle, a victory gathering, where David is vindicated as his foes eat while while he eats, while his foes are enslaved or have been slain on the battlefield. And they're visibly submitted to David's triumph. For another picture of this, we see it in the book of Judges, chapter 1, verse 7. Israel defeated the Canaanite king, Adonai Bezek, and he says, "...seventy kings with their thumbs and their big toes cut off used to pick up scraps under my table, as I have done, so God has repaid me." David here is picking up the, the same idea. His enemies, vanquished and enchained, are there in the hall of feasting as a demonstration that the Lord had brought him to victory and had strengthened his hand as the anointed king of God's people. And so what David is saying here in the movement of verse 4 to 3 is that through the valley of deep darkness, afflicted with dangers and enemies, the Lord will fight for him. His rod is present. And on the other side of the valley, there is a victorious feast where his enemies are vanquished and enchained And David's cause will be vindicated. An older writer paraphrased verse 5 like this My enemies will be forced to witness my enjoyment without being able to disturb it. Now, this is far different than modern neutered versions of Christianity, isn't it? Comfort from judgment and vengeance? Well, of course, Scripture does not say there is no vengeance. Scripture says it just belongs to the judge, to God. And how else can God rescue His people in a world of injustice and sorrow if He doesn't exact justice on those who have impenitent evil towards His people? One writer was right when he said this, Yahweh is a God who saves His people. But without God's vengeance against His enemies, there can be no salvation for His people. God could not have liberated Israel from Egypt without defeating the Egyptian army. And so God will not liberate the bride of His Son from this world without defeating the world that harms and opposes His Son's bride. Our world cries for justice, and we all know that in this life, true and final justice is never coming. And if we squirm at judgment as a comfort, then it must be that we're just not familiar enough with being victimized and oppressed, mistreated and abused and slandered. Because when you have, you know what the Lord intends this promise to be. It's a comfort, a source of peace. The God who is with me by His Spirit is holy. He will bring justice. His patience and justice delayed is not final justice denied. He will vindicate His people and He will bring his, fine, his sheep to final triumph. There will even be feasting and joy from God, vindicating His people as our enemies are conquered. You can see, however popular, Psalm 23 is no Pollyanna psalm. It's not even rated G. This psalm, and nowhere else in Scripture, gives us a, a naive or romantic view of life. To know God does not mean there will be no troubles or dangers in life. We walk through a world still in rebellion that is not yet redeemed. There are enemies. There will be danger. God's true sheep will face scary, dark things in the valley. But we're not alone. Augustine again said this, I shall not be afraid of evil happenings because you, God, live in my heart through faith. You are with me now to ensure that when this shadow of death has passed away, I may be with you. We're never alone if we're His in Christ. Nor are we ever being led aimlessly. Notice here and consider, if the Lord is the shepherd who is leading, who has led us to the valley in the first place? God. Remember Paul's words in Romans 8. We're likely familiar with most with verse 28. We know... That for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. He works all things sovereignly to the final good of all who belong to Him in Christ. But what does that include? Paul goes on in verse 36, As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is working all things together for the good of those who love Him. And those all things include everything, dark valleys, enemies, opposition, suffering, and none of it will separate us from the presence of the shepherd or deter in any way the final victory that will be his in holy justice. Even in the darkness of the valley, he is with us. He's working all things for good, and he will bring his people to triumph in Christ. The late Tim Keller observed, sometimes God seems to be killing us when actually He's saving us. It is through the valley of death that we're brought to the table of victory. And it is by that we're caused to know the ultimate comfort of this psalm. You, God, are with me. He is present with us always. And this is His promise as we come thirdly to verse 6. He shepherds us by the promises of salvation. The promise of salvation. With assurance now, David concludes that God's goodness and mercy, or better, his steadfast love, that's God's covenant, loyal commitment to his people, his faithfulness to be true to his promises, they shall follow me all the days of my life. Now again, the translation follow is traditional, but we have to admit it's a a bit weak. This Hebrew verb is aggressive. They shall pursue me. They shall chase me. It shall run me down. God's goodness and mercy is running after me by His presence and power. David here describes a, a vigorous pursuit of God's goodness and love. It's as if he said, wherever I find myself, even in the valleys, God's love will pursue me there. He will be with me then. His love is guiding and shaping my entire life, molding and designing me. Beloved, the great confidence in the Christian life is not how you have pursued God. The great assurance of the Christian life is how God pursues you to the end and is with you always. And that is actually the basis of our pursuit of Him. We seek Him. Because there's nowhere that His promises and His love and goodness do not chase us down and are with us always. That is the basis of how we pursue Him. And given that the Lord is my shepherd, that means the journey of my life must be defined by goodness and love whatever path it travels. Because journeys are defined by their destination. Don't listen to anyone who tells you it's not the destination, it's the journey they've lost their minds. Every journey is defined by where you're ending up. And here, David says, where I will end up is the house of the Lord forever. I will return to the Lord's house. You see, it all makes sense. If the privilege of the journey is that God is with me and I'm assured of His continual presence Then what could be the joy of the destination except the assurance that I will be with Him forever in His house? To be forever with Him, delighting in His abundance, intimately experiencing His beauty, and having direct access to Him. Psalm 23 is the assurance that the Lord saves all His sheep, and God leads all His flock back to Him forever. In Mark chapter 6, there's a curious detail about Jesus of Nazareth as he comes ashore on the Sea of Galilee with his disciples. And Mark records in verse 34 that Jesus saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things, Mark says. The shepherd provides God's word to wayward sheep to revive and renew their soul and guide them in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. So He teaches them. But then the disciples tell Jesus in verse 35, this is a desolate place. This is like a wilderness. This is like a valley of darkness. There's nothing to eat. And then Mark says something curious in verse 39. He says, Jesus commanded them to sit on the green grass. Think about that all of the focus of words and the focus of episodes, we have just a sliver of Jesus' life and ministry in the Gospels and Mark wastes time to tell us the color of the grass. Who cares about the color of the grass? Why that detail? Well, because who else shepherds the flock by speaking and providing for their needs and giving them rest in green pastures? Yahweh does. And Yahweh has come in the flesh, in the Lord Jesus. So Jesus declares, I am the good shepherd. And Jesus, by saying that, he's doing more than picking up a familiar metaphor. He's revealing who he is as the God-man, God who's come. And he's not just David's greater son. He's David's shepherd, the Lord, who has come in the flesh, himself with us and for us. Later, Jesus will say in John 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I will give them eternal life and they shall never perish and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. That is, Jesus says, I will bring them all the way home to the house I prepare for them. No one will take them from me. If you're a Christian, we follow his voice as he speaks to us in his word. We're confident of his care our security in Him, His skill and purpose as He leads us. And think, how has He brought us into His flock? Well, the prophet Isaiah describes our plight in Isaiah 53, verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The sad reality is that we are sheep without a shepherd because we are sheep who don't want a shepherd. By nature. This is the essence of what we mean and describe by sin. God created us to shepherd us and offered us His rest, and we refused to go our own way. And now we are by nature lost sheep, wandering in the wilderness. But Isaiah continued in Isaiah 53 and said, And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And he goes on in verse 7 to say, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. This same Jesus who declares, I am the good shepherd, and would cause his disciples to rest on green grass, is also announced as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, so what is it? Is Jesus the shepherd or a sheep? Exactly. Exactly. The God man, the shepherd who's come as one of his sheep, that the lost sheep may return to the fold of God by his redeeming work and rest in his home. In Jesus, we have the shepherd with us and a sheep for us, the lamb who is our shepherd. As Jesus says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, he gives himself as a substitute. His rod is the cross defeating the devil and the flesh, and leading us all the way home, giving us triumph over all our ultimate enemies. And beloved, we can be in the flock of God because the shepherd became a sheep for us. And he lived the perfect life, the most faithful sheep that has ever walked this earth, fulfilling this very psalm, following the Lord faithfully. And then he died on the cross to receive our justice and rose again, that if we trust the Lord Jesus, we can say with David here, the Lord is my shepherd. And even though I have gone my own way as a lost sheep, I've been brought back to his fold by his grace and power. And no one can snatch me from his hand. And where does Jesus lead us? He leads us to be with him forever. We have a striking image in Revelation 7 verse 17. The Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. The Lamb, who's died for us and risen to bring us to Him, will shepherd us forever. And it goes on, and He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. We will lie down by waters of resting places forever and be in the presence of God with no more valleys, no more enemies, at the victory feast of His table for eternity. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. Trust Him that you might say, the Lord is my shepherd with us. The Lord here, beloved, is addressing us personally and corporately. Let's consider a little of this as we conclude Dear Christian, the thrust of Psalm 23 directs us how to sing and know the promises of God in Christ personally and individually. God is not just saving a people abstractly, or even the elect, or the church, but you personally, intimately, individually, David says the shepherd of Israel is my shepherd. So we can say the good shepherd is my shepherd. It includes you and me and all who trust him. The first hymn I ever learned was taught to me by my late grandmother. You may have heard it. Jesus loves me. This I know. You know, that's a good hymn still. That Jesus is my shepherd. And we can know the truths of the gospel notionally and generally. But, beloved, never neglect to meditate on them personally and individually. David here, I think, in many ways was simply meditating on God's redeeming work in the Exodus and saying, this is how God saves me too, individually. Or as Paul wrote in Galatians 2.20, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself For me. Dear Christian, Jesus loves you personally and individually. He's saving you, and he will guide you to be with him forever. The Lord is your shepherd. We also see here reflections of how we are to consider ourselves as part of the flock, the church. And dear church, we are reminded how Jesus intends to shepherd us by under-shepherds in the community of his flock. This psalm, in many ways, answers the question of, well, what does it mean to be pastoral or to be a shepherd? Those words are synonymous. Well, if the Lord shepherds by providing his word and his presence of his spirit and the promises of salvation, would he not design to mediate his shepherding care by under-shepherds who are devoted to prayer prayer? and the ministry of the Word to provide for His people that they might grow in the promises of salvation. Well, that's exactly what He's done. That's His design. And He provides for all our need to rest until we're home with Him. That's the meaning of pastoral, just providing God's Word prayerfully and pointing the flock of God to the hope of salvation. What this means, beloved, in our age and time now of, of fear and uncertainty is we must resist the temptation to interfere, run after gurus. Remember the Lord is our shepherd, and let us look for those who point us to Him. Where will we find rest for our souls? Only in being pointed to our shepherd and theirs. This is how the chief shepherd shepherds his flock. He is the great shepherd of the sheep. The chief shepherd And all of us, every single one, even every pastor, at the end of the day, is just a sheep. And we all need to be pointed to our great shepherd, to his continual presence in the Spirit, and to all his promises that secure and strengthen us on our journey home. We follow our shepherd as he leads us for his name's sake to be with him forever. Augustine, for a last time, said, Since my shepherd is the Lord Jesus Christ, I shall not lack anything. Amen. That's the confession of every Christian. Let's pray. Our Father, we bless you for your shepherding care of us, your church locally, of the bride of your Son around the world and down through time and for every individual of us. Thank you for helping us reframe our anxieties and fears in the valley to know that you are with us. We pray you would especially strengthen any of the weak or fearful among us this evening, that they might be reminded of your presence. You are always near. Your rod and your staff are ever-powerful, and you will bring every one of us all the way home. May we rejoice in the confidence we receive again from Your Word. Father, we pray You would help us have great courage and strength. Even if we might feel as belitt- belittled minorities in our world and culture, we remember that Your Son will triumph. He will judge the nations and rule them with a the rod of irons, and we will one day be seated at His table. Give us confidence to follow You, to stand firm in this day, and to hold fast to the Word of life and hold it out to others, that they might join us in following Your shepherding love and care. Our Father, we pray that You would give us great rest, psychological stability, calmness and contentment, and You would bear fruit from it for Your name's sake as we walk after right paths according to Your direction We ask our Father you would bear fruit from that as others witness our good works. May they be brought also to glorify you in the day of visitation. Help us, our Father, to walk faithfully and humbly before you, trusting you in all we do not understand as we know that our shepherd, the Lord Jesus, will never drop us from his hands and you are working all things for the good of those who love you. We rejoice now in Your presence until You bring us to be with You in Your house forever. And in the confidence of that day, we praise You and thank You in all things. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.